0: Love, talk, radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment.
0: Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Welcome to Steve's Video Store. Remind me, Carl, by next week I need to get a new intro because I'm officially tired of that after seven years. (laughs)
2: Okay, we can do that. We can do that. Not a problem. And we have our
0: special guests tonight who are members of the Horror Host Hall of Fame and Stephanie and Basil... Also known, if you guys have the Horror Channel, as Countess Karina and Vlad. (laughs)
1: That's right.
0: How long have you guys been uh, putting your shows up there?
3: Well, to begin with, uh, thanks for having us on, Steve and Carl. We're glad to be here. And uh, what we... When I was put into the Horror Host Hall of Fame uh, last March, Halloween Jack from the Monster Channel had asked, uh, "Why don't you start doing new shows?" And uh, Stephanie was interested in doing it, and she said, "Yes, you should do it because why did you say we should do it, Stephanie?"
4: Because the world needed Drac. That's right. Yes.
3: Yeah, and you know, (laughs) the world (laughs) needed
4: Drac back.
3: If Stephanie was ever right about one thing. It's what the world needs now is drac, sweet drac, you know. (laughs) So uh, we thought about what we were going to do. And at one point uh, we were doing Monster Bash in uh, Pennsylvania, and it was the June show. And I said, we'll take along the the camera and uh, we'll we'll shoot some video there. We'll do some interviews. And we shot enough uh, to do a a two-hour interview show. And that was the first show we put up. That was in September, and it was pretty good. We get, we talked with uh, uh, Riku Browning, who was in uh, he was the creature from the Black Lagoon. We talked to Beverly Washburn, who was in everything from Shane to Spider Baby with Lon Chaney Jr. Martin Beswick. Uh, we talked to um, a lot of people who are uh, artists like uh, Scott Jackson and Mark Maddox. Uh, Malcolm Gittins, who's a Rondo Award winner. We talked to David Colton, who runs the Classic Horror Film Board and is responsible for the Rondo Awards every year. And uh, Sam Irvin, uh, director, who directed Elvira's second film uh, and was also he's, he's working nonstop over the past several years as a director for Hallmark and Lifetime Channels, cranking out about a half dozen different movies a year. So they were all we doing just, interviews. We just,
2: and it, we just had him on, uh, what was it, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Sam Irvin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam. We oh, had he's, Sam. He's a, he's a wonderful guy.
3: He's a hoot,
2: just, yeah. <laughs> and i got to tell and, you, sitting uh, down.
0: I like to say this. Rest in peace. We're going to <clears> miss you and your cold jack <clears throat> soup forever, Malcolm.
2: Yep. huh <laughs>
0: Oh
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, explain I know who that, know. Yeah, Bob. <laughs> Sometimes he yeah. does that. Yeah, Bob's. I know who he means.
0: Yeah, Bob.
3: Uh huh. Who passed I... away about a month ago?
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And uh, I haven't been to
0: Monster two Fashion two years. I miss it.
3: Yeah. Uh, it, we did uh, three of them. We did that one. We did the one in August in Canton, Ohio, which was with uh, Vincent Price's daughter. And then we did uh, the October show as well and made a great friend in uh, Donnie Dunnigan there. Uh, Donnie has actually been on our show in an interview situation. Uh, asked him for an interview, and I thought, boy, if we can get 10 or 15 minutes with him, that would be great. He talked <laughs> for like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephanie shoots all the videos. She had to stop at one point and change the battery, you know, mm-hmm. and the memory card
0: because
3: he talked for like an hour and a half. We got some oh, great flat. stories and about
0: I love him.
3: Yeah, and we've been throwing like a couple of minutes in here and there with what Donnie said, some things he said about uh, Bela Lugosi we've used and Basil Rathbone. Uh, because after the interview show aired in September, uh, then we I, I told Stephanie midsummer, I said, you know, if we're going to do this, we have to do it right. I guess we'll have to gut the rec room in the basement and build a set. And the next morning when I woke up, she had torn up all the carpet in the rec room, cleared everything out, and said, okay, let's go get lumber. And designed a set, and we had it up, and it was finished at the end of September. We started shooting, and our first show on the set aired in uh, around Halloween time. And we've done one or two shows a month ever since. We did two in November. We did two this month, so this past month. So we've had a good time doing it.
0: I think the favorite story that Donnie ever told me, did he tell you guys the Bambi story when he was in the Army?
3: No, what was it?
0: Well, what happened was he was in the Army, and one day he got called aside by this mean-looking drill sergeant. And he said, Son, is it true that you were in Bambi and did Bambi's voice? Uh, sir, yes, sir he whispered in his ears close again, you made me cry, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, for people who are listening who don't know, Donnie Dunnigan was the voice of Bambi, and he was also uh, Peter von Frankenstein, the little boy and son of Frankenstein in
0: 1939. Yeah, Very cool. Like the biggest one, he was like the year before you went, Carl, you... Just talking to him for five minutes was great.
3: Yeah. He can pack more in five minutes than most people can in an hour.
0: And if um, you can find the use the issue of video watchdog that has Donnie Dunnigan on the cover has like a ten page interview form and it's like a must read.
3: Well we'll have to track that down. So, Carl, you're in New York City. What are things like in, in New Army York City
0: years
2: right now? Uh, okay, Steve. Uh, um, you were saying, yeah, I am in New York City.
3: Yeah. How are things going in New York right
2: now? It's uh, basically there's nobody out. It's 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 very very uh uh it's just nobody out. The only thing that that's pain pain and took us is. Going to uh, the grocery store or the, or the uh, you know that type of thing, but otherwise, man, everything's shut down. I mean, the restaurants are only doing uh, 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 takeout or delivery, uh, so you're at home. I'm doing lots of cooking, my roommate, and, and just uh, uh, trying to be safe and watching lots of movies on Shutter and uh, Criterion channels. <laughs> so that's about it.
3: There you go. So I've been binge watching. You know, I was talking to uh, Joey Vento a couple of weeks ago uh, from New York. Do you know Joey from the Haunted? Oh Run? yeah, we know no. Joey. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know Joey. Let's put it that way. I know Joey.
1: Yeah,
3: and uh, he was had a photo up of of some film that was like a, a post apocalyptic thing. And I said, "Boy, can you imagine being in New York City and walking through Times Square and there's nobody there." And a couple of weeks ago, I said, hey, Joey, how how prophetic was that? It may happen. You know? So what about well, in you, Tennessee? You know, how mean, how are things going there?
2: Well, I, I had a friend of mine uh, actually post some pictures of the subway here in New York. And there's nobody on it. Nobody. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, and Tennessee, how's
0: that going, Steve? Oh, We're doing pretty good here. We... Tennessee and Kentucky don't have as many stupid people as some of the other states, thank God. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, there you have it. Because where Pretty we are right now... the Missouri,
0: East Tennessee, every non-essential business is shut down. And a couple of local theaters and stuff that I patronize. And, well, if you go on... Uh, Kickstarter, look up Ravens Records and Rarities. they're a local record shop here that has old vinyls horror toys and memorabilia they're going through Dutch right now because of this whole thing and they gotta go fund me up to help keep their stuff alive while this is going under so if you can help, please help
2: absolutely So, so guys, uh, tell me a little bit more about your show and what you do, uh, because to be honest, I, I have never seen it, so I have to sort of imagine it in my head. What?
1: I'm sorry, you you're not perfect.
3: <laughs> I think it's on uh, our new show aired last night. It was uh, seen in 809 cities in 114 countries around the world. Uh, It airs on the Monster Channel and streaming service, and you can also watch it on Roku. And what's the Roku address, Stephanie?
4: The Roku uh, channel is the Eerie Late Night Horror Channel. If you search the Monster Channel itself, it will say it's not streaming, but if you try the uh, Eerie Late Night Horror Channel, it should work for you. You can access all the... uh, Monster Channel shows, they don't have the on-demand yet, but you can see the live stream.
3: And as far as the content of the show,
1: <clears throat>
3: it, uh, it can vary from show to show. Sometimes it's very serious because Stephanie and I both have stories in a, a book uh, that was published at the end of November called Bela Lagosi: The Monogramthology, which is a collection of stories that are either prequels or sequels or Frank Dell'Ostrito, you know, the uh, very well-known fiction writer, he calls it facto fiction, uh, had written an on-the-set story about one of Bela Lugosi's films. This book was nine stories, all tied into one of Bela Lugosi's uh, monogram pictures. And I had done his first picture, uh, the uh, the Invisible Ghost, and Stephanie did his last monogram picture, which was Return of the Ape Man, and uh, so we did a show when that came. Hey, wait a minute! Dog got it. Oh, hold on a second. Uh oh. What, Drac? I'm on. I'm talking to Stephen Carl on their their podcast. What?
1: Drack, well,
3: you forgot to mention uh-huh. something very important about that book. Oh, all right. I'll, I will, Drac.
0: <laughs> <sighs>
3: oh, jeez! Oh, crimey.
0: Isn't it sad after many <laughs> <to live laughs> the Ego some people get. <laughs> yeah,
3: you know Drax horrible. He's got an ego that's like you know you wouldn't believe. Uh, I forgot to mention that Drak wrote the forward to the book, and Countess Carita wrote the afterward. Mm-hmm. So you know that Drac wrote the the forward, and then I have the first story in the book, and mm-hmm. Stephanie has the last story in the book, and Carita wrote the afterward. So, but when we did a show uh, about that. We showed The Invisible Ghost uh, in December to, yeah. to help promote the book. That was more serious, but for the most part, the show is um, it's kind of nonsensical. You know, we have fun with it, and I think Drack and Carita, because uh, you know Stephanie and I produced the show. Uh, Drak and Carita are our, our on-camera talent. You know, and uh, they do a pretty good job. They have uh, a good rhythm that, you know, they, they seem to mesh well together. You know, they're, they're pretty quickly becoming kind of like Laurel and Hardy. They know each other's rhythms. So they're able to pick up comedic timing off of each other and stuff. And uh, we'll do things. We have the Borgo Pass Report, which is a, a news report that's in just about every episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, letters to Drac. yeah uh, cooking with Carita.
4: cooking with Carita. yeah
3: yes. <laughs> uh what is it what are some of the dishes that Carita's made?
4: uh, I made a leprechaun roast, I made a peasant pie, uh, I made cupid heart cookies
3: made with real cupid's hearts, yeah,
1: yes oh,
4: uh, <laughs>
0: there may oh, be always one of on I'm kidding like but those are the, food, food, but he yeah. hates how mm-hmm. they run so fast. Right, Carl. <laughs> With the
3: peasant. Yeah, the peasants, you know.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Uh, but what she brought up was a good point, you know, around Castle Dracula. The peasants taste better because they don't have as much fat on their bones. You know, they're all pretty right. lean, you know. The peasants in Transylvania, they, you know, they're pretty skinny.
4: <laughs>
3: so it's kind of like getting the filet mignon of peasants.
4: That's right.
2: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. You know, and to tenderize it more, you can either beat the peasant with a mallet or a yeah, particular wood mallet.
2: Yeah, nice heavy wood mallet. Tenderize
3: that. Yeah, that's, that's right. Forward. And you can do it either before or after you
2: draw and quarter them.
1: <laughs> well, Carl, oh, I like to draw and eat them
2: myself because I'm not that, you know, a little peasant meat goes a long way, you know. That's
0: right. <laughs> oh, not, Carl, not in the Dracula household, boy. Off they off eat the it the up. Show, I give them some monster yeah. cheese. But if he screws up, I give him craft singles. <laughs> <laughs> there you
3: go. <laughs> oh, and we have a show coming up, our next one that we're preparing right now, because last night we were on, and that'll be Carl. That'll be on the Monster Channel again, I believe, Tuesday night at 10. Yes. It's Transylvania Tonight with Drak and Countess Carita. That's right, doggone it. Get that in there. Get the airtime. time. Yeah, I think it's Tuesday night at 10. <laughs> and uh, on that show, we're showing. Uh, Claude Rains and Fay Ray in The Clairvoyant. And uh, Drac exhibits some of his uh, psychic ability mm-hmm. and mental skills, telepathy, and, yeah, precognition. So that that's a good show. You may want to tune in and see that one. Mm-hmm. But our next show we're working on is one that I'm going to be very proud of uh, because one night Stephanie and I were watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari,
1: Mm-hmm.
3: and I asked Stephanie, I said, gee, would you like to show that on the film? You know, we hadn't shown a silent film. Uh, we'd only been on the air since September and doing like one or two shows a month. So I said, would you like to do a silent film? And, and she said,
4: oh, of course.
3: Yeah.
4: I love silent films, so any chance I get to show a silent film, yes, I'll take it.
3: <laughs> and I said, but the one thing we have to be careful of is music rights and clearance because we don't want to get sued on a soundtrack for a silent film, okay? Mm -hmm. And the other thing was, English-speaking prints could have also had a copyright on their title cards. So even though the film has fallen into the public domain, we had to be very careful of those two things. And, well, Stephanie, what did you do?
4: I rescored the film. I I found a bunch of music uh, online, and... uh, Created my own score for the film and uh, created my own uh, title cards, all that.
3: And mm-hmm. we found a print that is absolutely beautiful. It
4: was a German print, yes. And I mean, it was so much better than any uh, of the English prints that I'd seen. Yes. It was beautiful.
3: So, you know, I, I've seen Caligari many times
4: mm-hmm.
3: over the decades. I'm sure you have too, right, Stephanie?
4: Oh yes, have I you, love German expressionist films, and that's one of my favorites.
3: Have Have you guys ever seen the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Carl, Stein? oh, absolutely. Yeah, you have never seen it looking and sounding as good as you're going to see it when you see it on Transylvania tonight on our next show. I guarantee you, because when I saw what she did with it, my jaw just dropped. She has music that's timed to footsteps, you know. And uh, the title cards uh, follow the the, kind of the pattern that was in the original German film.
4: I tried to, yes, I tried to use the original German title cards as inspiration, but put my own little spin on them. But, uh, yeah, that's where I got the inspiration for those. I wanted them to be just as much uh, in the vein of German expressionism as the film itself.
0: So. Was it she did hard an amazing job that I'm that very
1: font?
3: proud of it Was it hard what? To
0: track down that German I'm, That font I, I was very for, uh,
4: Yes it's a different sort of font But I was very fortunate yeah. I looked up took a while But I found several different versions uh, That were close to that Caligari font uh, Very jagged and angular, and uh, I was very fortunate to find two or three that I use uh, throughout the film, either for the uh, title cards or for the credits. Uh, so I hope everybody will enjoy what I did, love the music that I chose, and love the uh, cards that I created.
3: I, I got to tell you, you know, every year one of the things that are are voted on for the rondo awards is uh, best film restoration and this year i had voted for uh the, the one that came out toward the end of the year the restoration of murders in the rue morgue the 1932 lugosi film because mm-hmm. watching that was like watching the restored dracula it was like the first time you'd ever seen it you know this caligari if Stephanie does not get a nomination next year for best restoration on a classic film for her Caligari, <laughs> I am going to be stunned because it, it, I'm not kidding. I wouldn't say this. I'm not not puffing, you know, the or exaggerating. This is the best I've ever seen this 100-year-old film look.
0: Well, all I know. Well, that,
2: that's impressive. That's very yes, impressive to do all that work.
0: created for the story back on Halloween, and that was freaking amazing. <laughs> Thank you.
3: Which one was that?
0: But
4: when
1: you did the, the one outsider. that you did for the Outsiders. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. She, she does all that. And I already have my next one picked for next Halloween, Steve. So.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm he not going to tell you yet, but I already know what I'm going to do for next Halloween. She's already on notice. <laughs> you know. So, God Uh-oh. willing, we're all here. You know, we, we're going to have a good one for you next Halloween, too. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. And no, I won't That's one luxury no. we have right now. You were asking about the show. Yeah. It's yeah. because we gutted the rec room. We've already used three walls of it. We have uh, our our TV desk set against one wall. We have our main castle set against one wall. On the other wall is Karita's kitchen, where she does her cooking segments, you know, and we go in, we shoot. You know, after we had seen uh, the September show, I wanted to upgrade, so we got some 4K camera equipment. So we shoot in the basement in our rec room, and she could just take the memory card and come over into the office area where we're sitting right now and start editing the show right on the spot. You know, we can see right away if something worked, if we have the footage we need, uh, we could sit here. We can take as much time as we want. If we get something in one take, that's great. If we do a dozen or more, that's fine because it's our own time, okay. and it's all going on memory cards, which are cheap and and can be wiped if you have to. You know, so uh, it's really an incredible experience doing this. And right now, during this virus scare, you know, uh, the crisis, a lot of our uh, friends in the horror host community are almost on hiatus the ones mm-hmm. that don't have the uh, capability to shoot at home mm-hmm. uh, because studios that they worked at are on lockdown. You know, mm-hmm. if they were using, uh, you know, a studio outside their home, public access TV studios, anything like that, it's shut down. We have the luxury of, like, doing everything right here at home. And I told him when we started this that was a luxury because back in the, the 80s, when I first did Frank and Drac, you know, it was we'd shoot... Two shows every other week and we had to go into the studio and it was almost like we were on a timer because management always knew what you were doing and how much it was costing in labor and and tech support and all that stuff and so we're able to do it right here and and stephanie is amazing with the editing program when we were talking about editing i told her i said well she said what should i get i said pick what you think you like what you can work with and as she asked other people that were working with different programs in the business. Uh, they were all saying that the program she chose was very difficult to work with. I got to tell you, she runs around that thing like Barry Allen. She's the flash on it. She sits down, can edit down to, you know, it used to be in the old days when I was in L.A. and I would work with an editor and I'd say, eh, take like 15 frames off that piece of video. You know, that was a chore. Now I can tell her and yeah, you take like just a, a beat or two beats off of it and within seconds she has it done.
1: Wow. Well
0: yeah, that's Impressive. happening to a lot of the podcasts too. A lot of the more professional ones that work out of a studio like an old radio like a radio program and stuff. They're shutting down. Yeah. But those of us who are working like the good old days in a radio tower, like a eight track and two wires, like when Carl was in college radio, we're still able to crank <laughs> them out, right, Carl? Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, and I have a friend of mine. Uh, another thing that's happening is that particularly the public uh, funded uh, radio stations are finding it extremely hard to keep going. Uh, one of my favorite ones here. In the city is WFMU, which is uh, used to be out of Upsala College. I think it's out of Fordham now. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, I have a friend of mine that I want to get on the show that does a show with with uh, uh, them. And it's like we're shut down, Carl. We're not doing anything. He says there's some people that are able to do it from home, but I'm not. So yeah. And,
3: and there you guys are, turbocharged from New York and Tennessee. And as long as the hamster's healthy and
2: keeps running around that wheel you can keep doing it. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. and of course we have to give a uh, a nod to Blog Talk which makes it so much easier to do. I'm I'm just yeah. starting to produce my own shows, so it's working out well.
0: Yeah. And Vlad here has a one woman band who can basically do everything. Even punch the ho- little holes in the side of the film, even though she doesn't need to do it anymore, she can still do it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah, she does that,
3: yeah. And yeah, sometimes she punches holes in Drax's side, too.
2: <laughs> she says, why you, well, I well, oughta. <laughs> we won't get into that. This is a family show.
1: <laughs>
2: no, 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 Fa- all family.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: so.
0: yeah, is it hard to try to find films that are cleared, that are truly public domain? Because I know there's like a million films on YouTube that are in gray market.
3: Yeah. Yeah, We we search constantly. And the thing is, if you search for one title, you know, you may have like six more come up in the queue, and you look, and it's like three or four of them are in the public domain that you weren't even aware of. It's like uh, our first show, uh, our first studio show, Rec Room show, that we did in October, we showed uh, a James Mason film called A Place of One's Own. Yes. And that's like a 1946 ghost story.
4: Yeah. I somewhere so. somewhere yeah. around there,
3: 1946 uh, or so. And neither one of us had ever heard of it or seen it. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time it was shown on the Monster Channel. It's a good little ghost story. And we just stumbled across that one out of the blue, you know. So... The other thing is, though, that we've been told is, you know, uh, last month we showed for Valentine's Day a, a sweet, tender, romantic story, white zombie, about a guy who will stop at nothing to win his woman's heart, even if that means turning her into the walking dead, okay? And we showed that for Valentine's Day. And what we were told is it doesn't really matter what you guys show because people have seen White Zombie, they love White Zombie. But when you watch a, whole, a hosted horror show, what people actually want to watch are Drak and Carita. They don't really care about the movie as much. The movie's almost inconsequential. It's insignificant to the host and what the host does with it. So I, I think we're succeeding there. I think we're getting good feedback on all of our shows. And. Right. Uh, we're, we're very happy with what we're doing. But it is fun when you find something that hasn't been beaten into the ground. And that's what oh, makes absolutely. me excited over the, the Caligari show that's coming up, is because even though people have seen Caligari, I guarantee you, you've never seen it looking this good. My jaw dropped when I saw it. And you know what? We showed it, after she was done putting everything together, we put it on a flash drive and took it up and watched it on a 65-inch Sony 4K television. It looked great. Wow. Yeah. It, it, absolutely jaw-dropping. So I started looking for other pristine fi- prints of, like, other silent films because I I think she's got a real niche for this. She has a very good sense of aesthetics and timing. And when she scored it, instead of looking at it as an overall film score, like last night we watched a film that had a good one, it was uh, Lon Chaney's 1927 film, The Mockery, about the Russian peasant who helps the baroness escape from the Russian Revolution. You know, And it had a great score to it, but it was a, a constant score that moved through the film, where Stephanie tended to treat scenes like album cuts with her choices of music. So the music can change from scene to scene, matching that tempo, and I think the way she did it really works, and it, it's, it's a nice experience.
0: Yeah.
2: and definitely... So I have a question for you guys. Hold on, Steve. Hold on. So, you know, you, you were just talking about people are interested, maybe not so much in the film and the, the host. Of course, I grew up, uh, when I was very young, it was um, Chili Billy Cardelli out of Pittsburgh. Uh, because I'm a Pittsburgh boy. Uh, sure, he's and, a legend. Uh, a legend. And, and I'm just wondering, uh, is there anyone or, or any host uh, uh, at Drack and Corita would, would uh, sort of, like, say, was an influence or, 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 you know, an inspiration to do this?
3: Well, I grew up uh, in the Cleveland area, Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. And there was a wealth of horror hosts when I was growing up. And my parents remember Mad Daddy, who was the first one in the Cleveland market. I was too young to remember him, but I do remember watching Gullardi on Friday nights, Saturday afternoons, and even one summer when he had an afternoon show where he would show uh, Laurel and Hardy shorts. So Gullardi is pretty legendary. Uh, there aren't a lot of his shows that exist, a lot of his footage, it wasn't videotape. A lot of them were done live. So a lot of his performance is lost, you know. But I do remember watching uh, every Friday night. And he would also start with a chapter of Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon. And that was a lot of fun. And then when he left to go to Los Angeles, where he became the voice of uh, ABC television, uh, he was, his show was taken over by the Channel 8 weatherman, Bob Wells, who was Houlihan. And uh, the fellow who had actually helped structure the Ghilardi program was Big Chuck Shadowski, who was the director and picked all that jazz music that was used. Mm -hmm. And they took over the show, so I watched them for years. Uh, After a while, along came UHF stations. So we got Superhost, Marty Sullivan, who passed away recently, I spent a lot of hours watching him. Uh, The ghoul, Ron Sweet, who passed away last year, watched him too, you know. So there were quite a few of them. And even Channel 43 on Saturday and Sunday had picked up um, Count uh, Graves, oh, Sir Graves Ghastly. And he had an alternate character he did too which was uh, Count Alucard. One would air on Saturday. One, The Alucard character I don't think ran as long, but he would run on Sunday afternoons. So I had quite a few of them. Stephanie, did you watch any of them?
4: I did not know about horror hosts at all growing up. I don't know how I missed out, but I did not have any horror hosts. But after meeting Drake and his getting inducted, I started doing my homework because I thought, all right, I need to see what this horror hosting is about. How you do it, what's who's good, who I need to gain inspiration from if I'm going to be, you know, his co host on this show we're going to do. So I watched Zachary and uh, Doctor Shock and Goulardi, uh the Ghoul, uh Morgus, uh there were so many and uh I have not really been doing this so much since we've been quarantined, which is a terrible excuse, but every Saturday on our DRAC fan page on Facebook, I would devote that day to a horror host that had been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I've learned a lot from that because every every week I would be researching a different host shows and see... Uh, what sort of uh, technique they used? Whether they were the the creepy, spooky type or the silly type, more like Drac. And and I've learned a lot from that. And uh, I would say Zachary's probably the one that I've gained the most from. That I uh, try to emulate. Yeah,
1: I, I love Zachary, Zachary too. Oh, yeah, yeah. she's uh, very so jealous. Had of... like... Well, you you, you go
2: sorry. you go first. No, that's okay. Yeah, you go. She's...
3: She's very jealous that I've told her that I met Zachary twice at famous monstrous conventions because uh, she would like to uh, have met Zachary. And, you know, again, Stephanie's like the intellectual. She's the one that has become like almost like an archivist for us. When I see a horror host online that I don't know, I ask her, well, do you know this one? Who's this one? And she'll say yes, and she'll give me, like, where they were on TV, how long they were on, who it is, you know. And so she takes care of all the tech stuff, she does all the research on the old horror hosts, and I basically sit around and say, what if I play Jingle Bells on the kazoo <laughs> while you hit me in the head with Jingle Bells, you know? That'd be funny, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's basically my contribution.
4: Drack writes almost, I would say, Drack writes 99% of whatever we do, so... He's not giving himself enough credit. I may do a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, but he is the comedic genius of this team, and uh, there would be no show if it wasn't for his writing and his ideas.
3: Yeah. Well, I'd like to, to tell Stephanie that she's over-exaggerating, but she's not. I am the no. comedic <laughs> genius. <No. laughs>
1: uh,
0: I'm have kidding, guys. I <laughs> it's possibly a touchy subject. What does Drac think of all the other hosts who are stealing his name <laughs> and uh, <laughs> him to do their own shows?
3: Well, you know what? As a uh, let's ask Drac. Hold on, Drac. Drac, Steve has a question for you. Uh oh. Yeah, Drac here. What is this, Steve?
0: What do you think of all the other hosts who are stealing your name and persona to do their own shows?
3: Well, you know, initially I thought posers, you know, and I, I thought <laughs> I'm going to get an attorney, I'm going to sue the pants off of them. Then, then, you know, and then I realized if I sued the pants off of them, it probably wouldn't be a very pretty sight. So I gave up on that idea, you know. Uh, so I think, you know, the public figure, you know, you really can't do anything. You have no recourse because, well, Count Dracula, Prince of Darkness, King of the Vampires, everybody knows. So he's public figure. Anybody could use the name. You can't copyright a name, you know. And so I finally resigned myself to realizing that it's true. Imitation really is the most sincere form of flattery. Yeah. But okay. none of them get the accent right. <laughs> You know, not even Bela Lugosi, when I came over to this country in 1930, because, you know, Dracula was shot in 1930, (laughs) released in 1931. But they had hired me to be a technical advisor on Dracula, you know. And when I came over, Bela Lugosi was phenomenal, okay. I don't understand how he did not get an Oscar nomination for Dracula. Looking back, you know, hindsight 2020, when I wear my glasses, because, you know, I'm blind as a bat. uh, Hindsight is 2020. And you look at the other performances that were nominated that year. The one that has endured over decades and decades, is still with us 90 years later, is Bela Lugosi's performance in Dracula. But even Bela never got the accent right, you know? <laughs> he didn't. It would be like, listen to that. The children of the night. I'm like, no, no, Bela, try... Listen to them The Children of the Night Oh, what music they make You know, he was a little bit too serious But, you know, he still gave a good performance and I was very flattered You
2: know. Okay, I need to interrupt here for a moment Because
3: you're lying to do whatever me the company. heck you want
2: uh, but, but Jack may want to listen to this here So, I was actually doing tech For a community uh, uh, theater uh, production Of Dracula and I was doing a sound. And, of course, in the play, that line comes up. Children of the night, you know, what music you make. And I'm supposed to hit a button, and you're supposed to get howls. Well, no, it was organ music. And he tried it again. It was still organ music. And, like, somebody had screwed with it. And, and then suddenly the third time the actor went, Children of the night, shut up! <laughs> yeah I just had to tell that story one of my favorite
1: stories
3: (laughs) uh, Stephanie saw a production of Dracula where she said they did a scene with him on a rock turning into a wolf
4: Uh, yes the wolf yeah there was a wolf on the rock and then he uh, puff of smoke comes up, and he turns back into his human form. And that was a high school play. I saw them do that. I don't know how they did it, but I thought it was exceptionally good, especially for a high school production.
3: And we're talking about stage productions of Dracula. Back in (laughs) nineteen. I was in a theatrical company with an actor, Barney Cates, who had played the orderly in a stage production of Dracula, which I I would have to assume at that point would have been in the late 40s or early 50s when he Mm -hmm. appeared on stage with Lugosi. And he said by that point, Bela was already very ill. And uh, they actually had to put his dressing room in the wings of the stage.
5: Mm -hmm.
3: And instead of your usual five minutes to curtain or five minutes to entrance, they would have to give Bela Lugosi a 10-minute call. And they said they'd give him the 10-minute call, and he'd stand up, and he'd look so frail as he put the cape over his shoulders and got ready for his entrance. And then he'd start hobbling over to where his first entrance was, and the whole cast would be on pins and needles holding their breath because it's like, oh, my gosh, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. He can't possibly go on. And he said the moment Bela Lugosi hit hit his mark, was in the lights, he became Dracula, and you could have never told he was ill. He said it was
2: amazing. Yeah, that's not surprising, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah.
0: Stephanie, I just asked yeah. my co-producer here, uh, Miss Princess, how could they do something like that? And she just said dog treats, lots of dogs treats. <laughs>
3: Begging strips That's right
1: strips
0: Yeah It was about How old was he when he had The uh, Accident where he broke Wasn't it his hip or something like that Serial production Hmm
1: okay.
4: I know he got very ill during uh, his run in in Great Britain doing yeah. Dracula, and that's why they had to uh, end the run sooner than they had anticipated because Bela just told uh, I think it was one of the Gordon brothers, I believe. If that's not right, I apologize to no, everybody, but I think it was Richard. It uh, yeah, I think they, you know, he he went to them and said, I can't go on anymore, I'm too tired, uh, I'm too sick, and so they allowed him to come back to America, and they ended the Dracula run. Uh, but I have never heard anything about him breaking a hip or anything like that.
0: He says- Carl, look up uh, "Fiend Without a Face" and look for the Gordon brother that produced that.
4: Probably Richard.
0: Yeah, Richard Gordon.
2: Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm looking. You want it on IMDb?
0: <laughs> yeah, just look up the producer.
2: Richard Gordon, that's coming. I'm working on it.
3: And it sure comes up from the crowd.
0: Carl, Carl, <laughs> Carl. Carl. He has, uh, that. Box set that Richard set put for his eng- for his uh three productions that uh he did for criter- well the Criterion Box set, it has uh Corridors of Blood, uh the Haunted Strangler and Fiend Without a Face. He tells the story of uh Bella's loop uh, time in England.
4: Oh, okay. I have not seen that.
3: But Stephanie is addicted to Bela Lugosi.
0: I am. I love Bela Lugosi. When did you I've fall seen... in love with what mm-hmm. they called, mm-hmm. when he first came over here, the Hungarian uh, Valentino?
4: The Hungarian Valentino. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember when I was probably... 12 or 13 years old, so I, I got interested in the classic horror and Bela Lugosi uh, quite a bit later than most of the monster kids uh, did. I was probably about 12 or 13, and I remember I had seen Frankenstein already. My grandparents had a VHS tape of Frankenstein, and I had seen that once, but I really wasn't able to appreciate it yet. And then in the TV Guide that year... Around Halloween, they had a photo of Bela from Dracula. And I thought, okay, I want to find out why I keep why I keep seeing him in these TV guides. You know, there must be something great about him. And just something about his look intrigued me, as anyone who loves Bela Lugosi can understand. Yeah. So I waited. I marked the TV guide when Dracula was going to be on. I was so excited to watch it tuned in that evening and the credits were in color and i thought this is not right and it was the hammer version of dracula so i was very disappointed i had to wait all year till next halloween season dracula was supposed to be on again so i waited i marked it? it in the tv guide and and it it was the same thing again so i had to wait till i was 17 years old I finally got a copy, a DVD Of Dracula with Bela Lugosi And I was finally able to see it And I do not exaggerate I watched Dracula every single night For a whole year Every night I would watch Dracula And I don't know that I could do it now But at that time when I was watching it Every single night Sometimes two times a night Because I loved it so much It intrigued me and fascinated me Bela fascinated me I could quote you every single line from that movie. I could tell you when the fade-outs were, <laughs> every, everything. That, that's what made me fall in love with Bela, and that's what made me start to research his life, buy up every biography I could find, uh, look him up on YouTube. And I believe, except for two films... I don't think uh, "Prisoners" is still available that he made in the twenties, and no, that's uh, "Rejected Woman." That's wrong. Yeah,
1: those two are lost. Uh, lost
4: well, I I'm not going to argue. I was I was thinking that one was still available that I would seen someone had a copy of it once, but I won't argue. Uh, Rejected Woman though, I know, I have seen available and I've not seen that one yet. But of all the films that he has done that are still available, I believe I've seen all of his films but that one. Wow. And I would love to find a copy of that. If anyone has a copy, I would love to get a copy
0: of it.
3: Is that the one somebody Woman had on was ebay
0: like and uh, Baila in his flamenco outfit days?
3: The flamenco outfit days?
0: Yeah, when he was a flamenco dancer before he came over to uh, America with the gaucho outfit. Outfit. Oh, I've seen those
4: photos. (laughs) I've seen those photos. Yeah. I would love to be able to see some of those pictures and some of his stage productions from that period.
3: You know, since we're talking about Bela, another thing that i had a chance to do that that was a real kick is uh one of our drac pack members john norris and by the way when we were talking about the Baylor lugosi monogram anthology before i'd like to mention that stephen moore did a great cover for that book and uh on the drac pack he's stevie stevie gothling Mm -hmm. but stephen moore did an amazing cover For uh, the Monogram Anthology. If anybody takes a look on Amazon,
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
3: that's his work. He took the uh, photos from the Monogram period, colorized them. But another one of our Drac Pack members, John Norris, when I was working, uh, writing, and producing in Los Angeles, uh, I had bumped into him at uh, the old Eddie Brandt Saturday Matinee store, which a lot of people know because Eddie Brandt would also do like mail order. I believe even on Reynolds, they would like send things out as Reynolds and uh, it was a pretty well-known store, but uh, was there, and he saw I was wearing a Dracula wristwatch. He said, are you a Bela fan? I said, yeah. And he said, well, meet me here Saturday. I'll take you on, like, the Bela tour of Hollywood. And he took me from every place, from the house on uh, Hudson, where Bela lived when he was shooting Dracula, all the way through to Holy Cross Cemetery, to uh, Bela's uh, grave. And at one point over the time that, that I was in Los Angeles working on that project, he said, what are you doing Saturday? And I said, eh, nothing. He said, well, why don't we go up to Santa Barbara and see David? He was friends with David Manners. It was Jonathan Harker in Dracula. And so we, we went up, uh, spent the afternoon with uh, David Manners. And at first he was very reluctant to talk about his Hollywood days. And uh, he said, oh, I don't like to talk about it. And I said, that's, that's too bad, David, because, you know, long after you and I are both gone, there are going to be lots of little boys out there who love you. I was being sexist. A lot of little boys who love you for the movies that you were in, like Dracula and the Black Cat and the Raven, or not the Raven, uh, the Mummy.
1: Mummy, uh-huh.
3: Uh-huh. And uh, after about five minutes, he must have thought about it. He said, well, okay, what do you want to know? And I started asking him questions, and he said that Lugosi was very aloof on the set, never really got to know him, because while they were on the set, he would stand in front of a full-length mirror, looking at himself in the mirror, and studying himself and moving in front of it, and when they would call him to the set, he would just swoop the cape around himself and say, I am Dracula. And go off to the set, you know. Uh, Also, Todd Browning, the same thing. I said, what was Todd Browning like as a director? He said, I don't know. You know, he stood in the shadows, smoking cigarettes in the corner of the studio. Never really saw him that much, even. He said, I got all of my instruction, all my direction from the cameraman, which would have been Carl Freund. So that was a real, real treat, yeah it was a treat to talk to somebody that gave you like one degree of separation from Bela.
1: Oh yeah. Very unlike, much so. Unlike,
3: unlike Vampira, going back to horror hosts who had uh, worked with him, well, at least known him. She had done some things with him. Um, and she was very tight lipped. She wouldn't talk about Bela Lugosi or James Dean or any of that stuff. You know, she sat and would talk for like an hour, you know, very pleasant, but just didn't talk about any of that stuff. She said, it attracted a lot of, like, goofballs who just wanted to feel like they were reaching out to Bela across the veil through her, you know, so. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's a hard, I mean, that's two good choices, like, okay, what do we have to choose? We have uh, Top Browning directed Dracula or Carl Freund. That's like a win-win situation either way. <laughs>
2: Well, after he
3: said that, I've I've always wondered since then, was Freund's opportunity to direct Mummy as the result of the fact of him going to the studio and saying, I want to direct this film, and I think you can trust me because, let's face it, I directed Dracula. But in all fairness to Todd Browning, we don't know if every night after they wrapped up shooting, if he took uh, Freund aside and said, okay, here's what we're going to get tomorrow and went over the script with him and said, I want this, 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 and this. So he was basically directing in camera like John Huston or Hitchcock who would direct films in camera. They wouldn't overshoot. You know, Hitchcock, it's very famously known that on one of his films when he ordered his, his film stock, they said, you'll never be able to shoot it with that much film. And at the end of the shoot, he had like 50 feet of film left over. You know? So for all we know, Browning may have been very meticulous with Freund, and Freund went in and was like yeah. a puppet, getting everything Browning and told him to. But well. I've always thought, since David Manners said that, that Freund's opportunity to direct came as a result of him being so instrumental in the direction on Dracula. Yeah.
2: Well, another yeah. thing well, about Freund. Uh, oh, hey, Carl. But another thing about Freund is that uh, as a cameraman. Uh, he was considered one of the greatest, and in fact, you go later in his career, <coughs> he was cameraman for I Love Lucy. He did the whole setup with three cameras, and that was how they shot television sitcoms to this day. Mm-hmm. And the man was just amazing at how he uh, uh, presented and 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 shot whatever he was shooting. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's all I need to say on that.
3: Which brings to mind Jack Pierce, who, after he left Universal, did a lot of work, freelance in film, but also ended up doing uh, makeup for television, was the makeup artist on Mr. Ed. And the cream of my collection, the the, the holy grail of my collection is I have Jack Pierce's little makeup table that he would take on the set to put his makeup case on. And it's uh, actually signed, has a sheet of paper under glass that's uh, personal inscriptions from 27 people who were on the Universal lot that he did makeup on, with the exception, I think, of Jan- John Valentine, who was the cameraman for Hitchcock on uh, Shadow of Doubt. But the people on this this uh, table, uh, we have Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., uh, all three of the Andrews sisters, Bud Abbott. And it just goes on and on. John Barrymore. Uh, Irene Dunn, Charles Boyer, Walter Brennan—it's an amazing piece, you know. And it's all those people that came out of that era in the 30s, who, when they talk about like MGM was the premier studio, well, I think you got a lot of artistry out of Universal. I got you. I think you got the best stories out of Warner Brothers, you know. So every studio had something that was just incredible, and. Carl Freund, who went over to MGM and then did Mad Love, you know. Uh, Whoa. Whoa. Amazing talent. And uh, Jack Pierce, who can argue with him. None of us would have Halloween the way we know it without Jack Pierce.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Very true. Yeah. Very true.
0: Well, what, what, I mean wanted to ask some Carly Browning you know, Wasn't uh, Dracula Browning's first sound film
3: no, that was Thirteen mm. Chairs, wasn't it?
4: Which was also with Bela. Yes, yeah. Thirteen oh. Chair, Thirteenth Chair. Yes, mm-hmm. that I believe was his first uh, film, his first sound film.
0: Yeah, and a lot it of was, people I think it was Thirteen Chair, Dracula, Unholy for three, and then yes, yes. The film that got him banned from working in film. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Freaks. Yeah. Hey guys, you are one of us. <laughs>
1: yeah. One of us. One of us. Yeah. There you
3: go. I'm marching across the table right now saying that. <laughs> so uh yeah, but he did he did things after Freaks. He did Mark of the Vampire. And uh, what, yeah. Miracles for Sale? Was that mm, Was that before? Yeah. Was that after? And what was the one that yeah. Colin Hull told us about that um, was was uh, a Henry Hull film that Browning directed his last picture?
0: Uh, the
3: World uh, of No, 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 no. Uh,
4: that's the one with Colin Clive? Is that what you're thinking of?
3: No, that's Mad Love. No, with, no, no. Oh yeah, it was Freund that directed that. Colin Clive. Uh, Miracles for Sale. What did I? I, Was that the one I said? Yeah, Miracles for Sale. Yes, that's
1: the one you said. Uh
3: Yeah, Yeah, that was 1939. So I'm looking now. I'm playing Carl's part and looking up uh, his uh, sound work, which they don't have the 13th chair listed here. Am I wrong on yes, that? They do. Oh yes they do. Yeah, nineteen twenty nine. And then a film called Outside the Law So Dracula was his third sound film.
0: Yeah.
3: Okay. And then he did Iron Only Man was that Edwin. Between G a
0: podcast in real is if you contradicted Car- Carita in real life. Me and Carl would be walking the lay we gotta get out of here right now. We don't (laughs) (laughs) Well,
3: that doesn't happen often.
0: No,
1: no.
3: No. Not even at dinner time. What do you want for dinner? I don't care. Just make whatever you want. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
3: But then it's usually burgers again, which if you watch our show Tuesday night, you'll get.
4: You'll get that reference if you watch our show, yes. Yeah. Because she really
3: doesn't make burgers that much. Yeah. So what are your guys' favorite films? Horror films?
0: Oh, the old ones, of course, uh, Freaks, Mad Love, uh, Vampire. Mm-hmm. That's one that Carl mm-hmm. loves.
2: Vampire. I love Vampire. Uh, I, I'm a big Carl Dreyer fan, so, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: I have to revisit that because I think the only time I saw it was on a bad VHS tape. And I. I don't think I got a real appreciation for it. I need to go back and take another look at vampire yeah,
0: you'd have to get any of the criterion versions of it
3: mhm you Carl
2: yeah, well well vampire for sure uh i I love uh the Golem too, even though that that is the only uh uh one existing is the i think the first of the three films that Vina. Did yeah, uh, uh, but uh, that particularly, and 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 I'm always going to love Frankenstein because when I first saw that mm-hmm. when I was a young kid, and uh, I was uh, I was in braces at the time, uh, like mm-hmm. braces, and I just felt so bad for the monster. I literally cried at the end of that, and oh. and though so many people consider. Ride of Frankenstein, the better film, and I'm not going to argue that. For me, the emotional content of seeing uh, Frankenstein for the first time. And, I feel and, the mm-hmm. same way, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And what I love, and I'm going to hide when I say this, and it's the Spanish version of Dracula in 1931. <laughs> oh, uh-huh.
3: oh Uh-oh. <laughs> No, that's, that's an interesting choice. It's, it's uh,
1: The
4: camera work is, is a lot better in many uh, scenes. Uh, the way the camera moves up the staircase yeah. up to uh, Dracula is uh, a lot more interesting. The use of the mist as he's coming out of the uh, coffin. So, yes, there's a lot of uh, great things about the Spanish version. But no Bela. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah Stephanie, Stephanie marks everything by, is Bela in it?
4: Eh. If Bela's not in it, it can't no. be as good. And
3: what's yeah.
1: unique Hey, is, is, hey is, Stephanie, is, you want to watch
3: Dr. Zhivago? You no. know, Is Bela Dr. Zhivago? No. No. That's Omar <laughs> Sharif. No, nah, forget it. You want to watch Gone with the Wind? Is Bela no. in it? Nah. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She'd rather watch Makita. Or death by television Yeah there you go <laughs>
3: So I talked over you Steve What were you going to ask uh,
0: The Spanish version of Dracula Is an odd thing Because usually Even back then They would just Dub the US version Instead of making yes. A completely uh-huh. different film Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah
3: and they, they didn't do that with Dracula. In fact, uh, there's, I've seen it a couple of times, and there's one speech that Renfield has in the Spanish version that's so good that i just like, wow, what would Dwight Frye have done with that speech? Mm. You know? Because Dwight Fry was an amazing actor. You know, he had had a, a very successful stage career in New York before he ever went to Hollywood. And he got typecast yeah. in that kind of role, you know, playing Renfield and Fritz and you know Carl Herman. And, and
1: Herman. Herman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: if you give me an apple, I'll give you a nice furry bat. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs>
3: so So, uh, I I would have loved to have seen what he would have done with the speech. That and I I can't specifically tell you what the speech is, but I just know that on one of the viewings when I saw it, it was like, wow, that's great stuff. If if Dwight Fry would have delivered that. That would have been great. Mm-hmm. So.
0: I wish that there existed a print of the uncut version of Mark of the Vampire.
3: Yes. What was cut?
0: Uh, the whole subplot that uh, said that uh, Bela and the girl were uh, father and daughter.
4: Yes, which would have explained the bullet wound on the side of his head that we don't get any explanation about in the film as it exists. Yeah, I know.
3: Yeah, talk about lost footage. What other lost footage is there that you guys would like to see? Because I know know what mine is. Insert Jeopardy music here. I
2: I think it would be uh, lost footage. How about a lost film? London After sure. Midnight. Oh, yeah.
3: London After Midnight?
2: London After Midnight. That I'd like to see. I'd like to see the two lost Golem films, too. Yes,
4: yes.
3: And uh, I'd like to see Derjanis Cup. And when you see some of the Cheney stuff where he wasn't doing horror. Like oh, last yeah. night, I said, we watch Mockery. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Tower of Lies. I'd love to see Thunder, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the lost scene I would like to see the most is the scene that was cut out of Bride of Frankenstein, where the monster's going through the graveyard before he goes down into the crypt, where he meets mm-hmm. Dr. Pretorius. Mm-hmm. And he sees the uh, the grave monument of Christ on the cross, and he thinks it's a real person and tries to take the nails out of Christ's hands to Aww. release him from the cross and set him free. Yeah, I would love to see that. But that's gone. So, and you had mentioned the Golem. You know, I had to go back and do a rewrite on the scripting for the Caligari show because mm-hmm. a lot of film historians oh, okay. and critics will say that the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Is the first feature-length horror film, and that's not true because Paul Wegener had done three Golem films. Mm-hmm. The last one yeah. I think was in 1920,
0: And uh, the first foot one Prince was in 19.
3: 19- yeah, and the, the the first Golem was 1915.
0: You know, uh, oh, you just uh, right. was the one that I like to see, the uh, original ending to the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari.
3: Ah. Uh, Where it it was all true?
0: Yeah, where they go in and put uh, Caligari in the insane asylum, and then the next Mm -hmm. shot just shows Caligari in the padded room.
4: Uh
0: Uh-huh. But the people in charge of Germany didn't want to film basically saying, the people in charge of this country are freaking crazy. (laughs) That's right.
3: (laughs) You know, I'm looking here. Paul Wegener in addition to the Golem and, uh let's see he did the Golem in 1915 Golem and the Dancing Girl was 1917 and then you had another one titled the Golem is the one that exists from 1920 yeah. but his first film was in 1913 Student of Prague mm-hmm. which I've only seen Conrad Veits version I haven't seen this one hour and 25 minutes so that qualifies as a feature, and that was made seven years before Caligari. So it's a good thing we talked about this, because I'll have to rewrite the script again. Yeah,
0: that is a good one that really isn't seen today. Even the vibe version of *The Student of Prague*.
3: Mhm. As I recall, he does a lot of sitting on a bench out in a park. Yeah. Yeah. Really, not a lot that, lot, not a lot of meat in the film, as I recall. So,
0: And I wish we'd one day Finally get a full uncut version Of the Frederick Marsh version of Jekyll and Hyde Yes I love that film
3: I wasn't aware that There was anything cut out of that
5: What's oh, missing? Oh yeah
0: The biggest thing still missing Is the uh, when uh, Ivy the prostitute is under the bed, it shows her laying under the covers and then throwing her underwear out from under the covers. Yes.
4: Yeah. I just, I think the last time it was uh, on TCM, they talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: I'm surprised they didn't leave that in in 32 because the Hayes office really wasn't enforcing anything until 34. Which always right, exactly. I always say, you know, if the black cat had come out a, a month or two later, it would have never seen the light of day.
0: Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Well. Oh man,
2: it's, yeah, it's
0: that,
2: more that less...
0: film I love. Yeah. Love that mm-hmm. film. It's less censoring and more. Well, let's cut this two-hour film down to a manageable ninety minutes so we can ship it out on a double-feature program. True. Yeah. Oh, and Carl had a question he wanted to ask about your uh, stage efforts. Go ahead, Carl. So,
2: so, so, um, you're out of the Cleveland area. Um, you, uh, uh, Stephen, had said that uh, you had worked with an actor that I just fallen in love with, and and uh, also. At one point, uh, I did do an interview with uh, with Vicki Love and, and and with this gentleman. But did you work with uh, Robert Forster?
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, that was actually uh, in my college days. And you know, I forget all this stuff. And it was like Stephanie and I were getting ready to go to a convention. We did a mezacon in Philadelphia this mm-hmm. uh, November.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And okay. uh, We're getting ready to go, and I came down, was having my morning coffee, and while I was waking up, I said, "Oh," She said, what? I said, yeah, Robert Forster passed away. And she said, yeah, I saw that. I said, yeah, he was a nice guy. And she said, huh? I said, yeah, he was a nice guy. I had done a production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with him, and Robert Forster wasn't the tallest guy. You know, he was probably about maybe five Six, seven somewhere in there, and I'm six one, and I played uh, the Indian in Cuckoo's Nest, uh, wore a pair of the old fry boots that had stacked leather heels that put me up a couple more inches. and then uh, boy, I gotta tell you, you gotta appreciate what women go through with with high heels because I also took a pair of wool socks then and rolled them up, and put a sock in each heel to give me another inch and a half or two, you know. So I kind of towered, you know, over him and did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and had a blast doing it. He also uh, directed the production and was uh, a great, great guy to work with. I mean, he trusted actors' instincts a lot. And, you know, you'd ask him a question, he'd say, What do you think? Just swing with it. Just swing with it, you know. (laughs) So, and, uh,. He smoked a lot of pot while he was doing that show, too.
2: (laughs) That surprised me.
3: And sometimes backstage while the show was going on. So one night as the Indian, he was supposed to put the Juicy Fruit in my mouth, and he couldn't get the aluminum foil wrapping off of it, okay? His fingers weren't working quite right. And he just took the gum foil and all and put it in my mouth, and I had a filling in one tooth. And when I hit that foil on that filling... Wow, I felt it, you know.
1: No.
3: But that was the only bad experience. Other than that, it was a joy, you know. And uh, I was I was really saddened to hear that he had passed away. But and back then, in that same period, when I was a younger guy and doing a lot of stage, uh, you mentioned the Cleveland area. Uh, I was in uh, the Great Lakes Shakespeare Festival Company at the same time that uh, Tom Hanks was there. So, and uh, Stephanie always laughs about the night that I I saved Tom Hanks' life. We were doing a production of Othello, and there was a a big duel uh, that was going on. And during the duel, he was on a platform next to where I was dueling with somebody, and he started to take a step backwards, and his foot just started to roll over over the back of the platform and I knew that uh, he was going to fall so I just put a hand up in the middle of his back and pushed him back up into place you know but he was goofy he was uh, and I mean in a fun way Uh, Tom was uh, always uh, in good spirits always laughing always joking I don't think I ever saw him stressed over anything was just always upbeat and fun to be around. Uh, another person I was at the Actors Theatre Louisville for a while was Kathy Bates. You know, so there are two Academy Award winners I've worked uh, in stage companies with. Uh, Kathy Bates uh, was doing the the play Crimes of the Heart that the the film was based on. Yeah. And right. uh, had come in from New York to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, to do the show, and. I remember she had one one night I'm leaving the theater and she's standing out at the bus stop and it was probably the coldest winter that Kentucky has ever seen. It was one of those where it would rain and snow at the same time and you'd come out and you'd have to crack like two inches of ice off your car before you could get into it. And she's standing there at this bus stop and I said, Kathy, what are you doing? She said, I'm waiting for the bus to go home. I said, What are you talking about? Get in. She said, oh, I couldn't. I said, no, no, seriously, get in. So I don't know if she didn't trust me because she didn't know me that well or what. But finally, it's like nonsense. Why stand out here in the cold? So she got in, and she said, I really don't want to put you out of your way. I said, Kathy, it's Louisville. How far out of the way could it possibly be, you know, and drove her home. But she was very soft-spoken, very nice, very kind. Uh, Another guy that I worked with in that company was Barry Corbin. Who played uh, General Beringer in War Games, and was Maurice in the TV series Northern Exposure? And Barry's a great guy, and he's somebody that when I was in LA, uh, he and his then wife uh, would invite me over. Hey, come on over for dinner. You know, and there's a story about that too, because the one thing, two things, I just cannot stand to think about eating liver and tuna. Okay. And I got over for dinner, and I thought, oh, boy, here I am out in Hollywood on my own, and I'm going to get a home-cooked meal tonight. You know, Sue's going to cook. And Barry said those magic words when I came in, oh, you're going to love it. Sue made her tuna spaghetti. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So we ate it.
0: (laughs) And that year that you were Kathy Bates, it had to be like 84, wasn't it? The year of the Challenger explosion.
3: A little bit earlier than that. Yeah. We're, we're talking 1979.
0: Yeah. Well, I would. Okay. Which yeah, I don't I w- understand because, you
3: know, guys, I'm only 39 years old. So how does that happen?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I, I, I want remember to get back to Forster uh, for a uh, second. Go ahead,
2: Carl. I, I just wanted to get back to Forster for a second uh, because I just wanted to say I. Uh, I was in Bradford, Pennsylvania, and my folks owned a music store. And uh, I I was managing it for a while. And St. Bonaventure is is right there in Olean. And he would come down. He was out of uh, uh, Rochester. He had his own troupe because that was his home turf, Rochester, New York. And he'd come down to uh, St. Bonaventure's uh, at least once a year for like three or four years running. And I saw two plays that he produced and directed. So I've uh, I've I've been a huge fan of his. So so I'm very envious that you worked with him.
3: Oh, very it, That was fun. And did you happen to see a production he did of Cuckoo's Nest?
2: No, no. Uh, I don't. Uh, that, because when when uh, Stephen was telling me that you were in Cuckoo's Nest. Now it wasn't Cuckoo's Nest. One was. Um, uh I think it was Ibsen and then the other one was one I don't really remember what it was. One uh but one was a more classic play. Yeah. Uh like either Ibsen or Strindberg or something like that. No. Yeah.
3: The only Ibsen I've done is Hedda Gabler.
2: Uh. I think if I if I'm not mistaken I think it was Enemy of the People. But I'm mm. not sure.
3: Mm. Yeah, and you have to admire somebody like that. Here's a guy who, you know, was doing television, doing film, but also had his own theatrical company on the side, you know. And there are a lot of people that have done that, you know. He had uh, Orson Welles when he wanted to prove uh, a point about directing. He went off and he staged a Shakespearean production or John Carradine who most of the money he made in movies he pumped into doing his own theatrical company. And for 10 years, I had a theatrical company. We didn't do anything intellectual or heady, you know. It was uh, staging murder mysteries. And here in Northeast Ohio, I had a cast of, there would be 14 actors in the show. And I think I surrounded myself, I was lucky, with a dozen of the best performers you could find in the area. Professional actors who would do, like, commercial work and voiceover work around town and stuff, who were very good, the best of the community theater actors. And then for the ingenue and juvenile roles, I would use students from Baldwin-Wallace University and Kent State University. And for 10 years running, I'd you know, I would have put my acting company up against John Houseman's acting company in New York. You know, they were pretty good. And we did that for about 10 years, all original scripts, we would do 13 shows a year uh, in two different locations. There were these things where you'd go out for a full weekend to a lodge, and right. uh, uh, generally, I was the detective of the piece, Sam Marlowe, Private Eye. You know what I'm saying, pal? Yep. And uh, yeah, and I think over the, I figured up one time over that 10-year period, I probably wrote about 27,000 pages of dialogue. So. Uh, the scripts were usually about 200 pages a weekend which is nothing when you get into doing a full weekend that goes Friday Saturday and into Sunday brunch because uh, 200 pages that's only about three and a half hours worth of material you know. Right. so you had to have actors who would know the story and be able to think on their feet and do improvisation and that was what was so great about the company that we had is that these performers were just like first class, top notch all the way, you know? So, so the, the Forster show that you saw, would would he perform in them as well as direct?
2: No, no, he was he was just directing. Yeah. So I never got I to that... see him act, you know, in, 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 in stage production. But mm. but I've I've been a huge fan of his for many 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 years uh and and just loved him, you know and the other thing too is being from uh uh being a uh uh Rochester, which was near my area, everybody you know knew him and 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 all the arts pages of of specific uh papers and that would would always focus on what he was doing, so he got a lot of uh uh PR in the area. Yeah.
3: You know who else was a lot of fun that I worked with? And this goes back to the Actress Theater of Louisville again. And I'm surprised I didn't mention him. I, I guess because, thinking contemporary, you mentioned Forrester and Tom Hanks and Kathy Bates. But the person that I just loved, and he liked me an awful lot, too, we'd sit and talk for hours, was Victor <laughs> Jory. And Victor was out of, like, the golden age of Hollywood. And, uh, had this great deep resonant voice. Hey Bob, how are you doing tonight? You know, and Stephanie always gets a kick out of. One night he scared me to death in the green room, or no, in the dressing room. He called me over. Hey Bob, come here. And here I was, this young actress, like, yeah, Victor, what? Cut my hair, huh? <laughs> here, cut my hair, cut my bangs for me. I'm like, Victor, I, I don't. He said, Nah, just take the scissors and right here where my fingers are, cut straight across. And I was like a nervous wreck, (laughs) you know. And uh, he actually wanted to to, uh, do other shows. This is, again, when I was still in college, wanted to uh, come to our school and do a show. And I told the director of the theater department, and he said, well, now how are we going to house him? I said, Victor loves being around young people. Bring him in. You could put him in a dorm. He said he'd stay in a dorm room. you know. And what I found out was the year after I graduated, the head of the department brought him in and he did Our Town. Nice. So I had, yeah, I had set that up. Yeah. The other thing that director of that department did is uh, my senior project, directing project, I directed Michael Christopher's The Shadow Box. And the year after I graduated, he did that show with my entire cast because it was pretty doggone good, (laughs) you know, which is like Michael Christopher's script was great. But uh, again, it's always having an eye for talent. That's one thing I've kind of prided myself on uh, professionally is like when I did the murder mystery cast, you know, I had an eye for picking the right people. Uh, Right. With the book for the monogram anthology, Stephen Moore. I mentioned his. He's uh, did the cover work for it. You know, I just knew Stephen would be able to give us a great cover, right? So he did that. We have a fellow who does Renfield for us that we just bumped into when I was uh, inducted into the Horror Host Hall of Fame at Horror Hound last March. Uh, this fellow, Mark Nastol, walked up, said, "Could I take your picture?" And I said under one condition. He's like, what's that? I said, you join our Facebook page and post it, you know. And he said, okay. So it's like, yeah, sure. Take take as many as you want. And Mark and uh, Stephanie and his wife Diana and I have become friends. And uh, at one point, I said, how would you feel about doing Renfield for us? He was like, okay. So Steve, have you seen his Renfield? No. No, you don't watch the show either, doggone it. You're going to have to watch it this week, too. Yeah, I
0: that...
3: uh, uh He does this Renfield character for us. He's, you know, Drack and Corita's Renfield. He's escaped from the asylum. He's on the run. Uh, for St. Patrick's Day, I had told him uh, to, to occupy him, keep him out of my hair. I told him to follow the rainbow to the end of the rainbow and catch the leprechaun and get the pot of gold. And doggone it, he did it and the leprechaun that that carita made in that episode was the cadaver of the leprechaun that he sent back with the pot of gold so <laughs> so it's always like the having having that eye and seeing talent i appreciate that so so i didn't want you to think when i said the show i directed in school was great because of me it's just having a knack for who is good and surrounding yourself with them and the same thing with oh, score. Yeah, same thing goes for Stephanie, you know. I knew Stephanie could do what she's doing right now. And, you know, she had some doubts going into it, and I'm like, no, no, no. And i got to tell you, on on camera, I think she's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen on screen.
0: (laughs) Well, you better. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But you know what? My nose isn't growing. It's the absolute truth.
1: No Pinocchio
3: here.
0: Well, it's like I did this uh, podcast alone for about two months And then I found somebody who was a quarter away decent Who had potential, small potential, not that much So I gave them a chance and now they're halfway decent <laughs>
2: Right, Carl? Uh, uh, I think I'm a little more than halfway But but I, I can okay. tell you that, that's worth
0: where... Half and two quarters Okay, oh, I well, I think see.
2: old
3: Carl's doing just fine.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> but, uh, Stephen, uh, we got hooked up with uh Winx Chop Magazine, and and Winx Chop is a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, film magazine and genre and such. And uh, I knew that Stephen was doing podcasts, and he wanted to, someone to do uh, a podcast of Blood Freak which I happen to love Blood Freak. I'll, I'll explain that later. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I think I begged you for like two weeks on Facebook. Please let me do it.
1: <laughs> and then
2: he, I finally pounded him enough out that he let me do it. And then We've been working ever since. Blood Freak. yeah, I mean, that's... What
0: it is. Yeah, with Lord Olivier
2: just... in that... No, 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 no. No, it's the only... It's the only... Uh, uh, pro-Christian anti-drug mutated turkey monster movie in existence really yes I'm not joking
3: I can't say I've ever seen it
2: <laughs> uh, I'm not sure you want to
3: yeah <laughs> well I wasn't going to say that but
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a uh, Thanksgiving uh, staple at my house so you're saying it's so a real turkey you have to watch it
1: yeah
0: yeah Mm. But, yeah, thank you guys again for being on and uh, working with your show again.
3: Yeah, uh, you can watch us again Tuesday night on the Monster Channel.
4: EerieLateNight.com.
3: On Roku, yeah. Uh, on Roku,
4: it's, it's the Eerie Late Night Horror Channel. Online, it's EerieLateNight.com. And yeah, our, our show is going to repeat Tuesday. What time was it? it was I
3: believe I haven't seen the schedule yet, but generally, what they do is when our new show will air on Saturday, yeah. it's repeated the following Tuesday at ten o'clock at 10 night. Ten
4: o'clock. Okay. Yeah.
3: And yeah. again, that's uh, this week's is Claude Rains and Fay Ray and the Clairvoyant, and uh, you get so much comic genius packed into the show around that movie.
0: <laughs>
3: Just kidding, guys. <laughs>
0: Well so. and you got something more important that a lot of people don't have that do this and
3: that's passion. Yeah. And Countess Carita. <laughs>
0: well definitely she yeah. has the passion about Bela. No oh, yes. I do. <laughs> Well she
3: had the passion about this too, I gotta tell you, because yeah. I would not I would not have dusted off the cape. But she really did say, No, you gotta do this So when they ask us at the Monster Channel to start doing shows again you know, she was the driving force between, behind all of it. And when I said, "Well, we'd have to like," like I said, when I said, "Well, we'd have to like shoot in the rec room." The next day, I got up, there was no carpet in there. Like, okay, let's build the set. Mm-hmm. All right. She learned well, how to use the camera. Like, she learned uh, how. To,
1: yeah.
0: The old, the best thing, uh, Stephanie's like the old joke George Romero said in *Documents is Dead*. He said, "You know how they say you can pry my guns from my cold dead hands? With me, it's you have to pry my editing machine from my cold dead hands." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: you know when the coronavirus crisis hit, she put up a meme. It's like uh, an editor before coronavirus. It was a guy sitting all by himself at a desk in front of his computer editing,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: editor during coronavirus crisis. It was the same photo, you know. Yeah, it doesn't
4: change for me. I'm still in front of the computer yeah. <laughs> yeah. editing.
1: And she's wondered
3: how many people have seen in our show credits. We have a credit there, you know, editor Stephanie Kokai. guy that annoyed the editor Bob Kokai. That's right. <laughs> She'll she'll uh, have the editing. It's like, well, what do you think of this? And I'm like, eh. And she, like, rolls her eyes. But she has a real good, like I said, real good sense of aesthetics. though so there really aren't that many comments. <laughs> Pretty much the okay. only things are for timing because I like to fill the two-hour block of the show.
4: Yeah.
1: Okay. Oh, well, he got me on him. the
4: Caligari show. He, uh, yeah. I had the Caligari show scored. I showed it to him. He said, well, I like this other print better, so I had to totally redo the whole thing. <laughs> that got me.
3: But was it worth it?
4: It's a better print. Yeah,
3: yeah it's it is. a beautiful is. print. Beautiful print. You know, <laughs> everything and you're still is alive and, and not
0: injured? Well, <laughs> I, 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 I am very impressed. I tend impressed. to think of it as undead. <laughs>
3: I tend to think of it as being undead.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you guys for showing up tonight. And, uh, You're welcome. Thank
2: you, Steve. Everybody
0: you. watch their show and stay inside, and we'll talk to you guys later. Yeah.
2: And thank you, All Carl. Right. Uh, nice yeah. meeting both of you guys.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Tuesday night, 10, the Monster Channel. Be there.
0: Staying <laughs> right.
3: be- okay
1: Or be square.
3: Yes. That's it. Thanks, guys. <laughs>
0: This has been a pretty bad week for coronavirus death. If you're into jazz and soul, this has been a crappy week, hasn't it, Carl?
2: Oh, Jesus God. Yeah, it has. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And uh, give us a little history, if you can, on the... Who Winford Marsalis was. Pretend well, I'm English, it's not, you don't have to. It, was
2: his, it was his father. Uh, yeah. And I really don't know that much about them, to be honest. I know father of, of, of Winford and uh, Brandon, but that's it. Yeah.
0: <coughs> well, he was so one of the big band leaders in uh, Nolan, mm-hmm. back during the Nolan band leader days.
1: hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to really read that article, uh, so so unfortunately, I'm not the person to ask. Um, okay. My apologies.
0: Well, let's just move on to the one that we all know. If you if you're quote our age or close to our age, you know at least one of his songs, and that would Jeez. be the late great Bill Withers. Uh, that's you, one hit hard. Yeah,
2: this one hit if hard. You think it really that, hit hard.
0: If you think that he right. just did "Lean On Me," then you're very, very, very wrong.
2: He was something. Uh, the interesting thing about Bill Withers is he comes in on seventy-one. By nineteen eighty-five, he's gone. He basically told the rec- uh, the record duck, uh, business to go take a flying leap. He only did seven albums. He did two with Sussex Records, which are the two gems. Then he did uh, another uh, uh, five or six with Columbia. And there was some good stuff on the Columbia, too. But, man, I keep forgetting about how good of a songwriter he was. Seriously. And he was very... It was about him, and it was about his character's well, my my favorite song of his, by far, is Grandma's Hands. Oh, in God, two minutes, yeah. in two minutes, he just gives this incredible, heartfelt, you know, nod to his grandma. And of course, part of this is is his grandma raised him. Now well, he was born in a small coal town, coal town in West Virginia. Uh, he was already near in his thirties by the time. He started music, you know he'd been in the Navy for a number of years um and then all of a sudden, you know he hits and he and he hits with uh, uh you know with uh, uh, oh come on, I just lost the song um what was his first me? song no no was no I know, uh, I know, I know, I know I know
0: oh. <laughs> better leave your thing alone. Ain't no sunshine, ain't no
2: sunshine when, sunshine when she's, gone. she's gone. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he I mean, that's a that. very sparse song.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. There's a wonderful, you know, he did a tour in 1972 when the second album came out with studio musicians. And, uh, they televised it from I think was it the Carnegie Hall or Lincoln Center, one of the two. And man, that concert—you'd hear these two-minute or three-minute songs on the radio, but with those musicians, they go on to five, six minutes with a two-minute introduction from him saying about what the song is. And you know, he, he another thing is like if. if the, the subjects of his songs were so so human. You could feel it, like when he says, uh, "Who is he and what is he to you?" Yeah, that song. We
0: know. we know that the you know, word was talks on it, but let's not get into yeah,
2: that. yeah. Well, it was "God dumb it," but yeah, it was supposed to be "God
0: yeah, damn it, it." You
2: know, "God damn it."
0: And sadly, that you know really didn't become. A cult hit until really the guy who's let's be honest—he's the king of pulling on the pulling album tracks off albums and putting them on the soundtracks and just making us go, "Damn, <laughs> yeah!" And that would be Quentin Tarantino with Jackie Brown.
2: Yeah, he used that with Jackie Brown, and and when that came on in Jackie Brown, I'd go, "Yeah." Yeah, Withers, man um, One of the songs I loved when I was a kid And I didn't realize it until later uh, How true it was uh, That was Use Me
0: Oh, that, yeah, that's one of the best Dirty, non-dirty songs ever Oh, I want you to use me Till you use <laughs> me up Yeah <laughs> To quote you I don't have a problem with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that that basically explains every every uh, uh, relationship I've had with a woman in my lifetime. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not yeah, joking.
0: I mean, He was good. Better than you would think. If you really want to go, go on Spotify and take a deep dive on Bill Withers. You'll find... An amazing amount of good music.
2: And you know what? The other thing I have to say before we we get off of Bill Weathers is his voice. He was not, he didn't have a great tone or that, but you try singing, I know, 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 I know. Try that sometime. Try uh, taking a uh, 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 One syllable And holding it for For like 30 seconds Which he did
0: yeah, He was an yeah, amazing vocalist Why I knew someone who thought he was talking <laughs> last Said to me Why is he saying why no for? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Seriously, when, when, when he, uh, uh, when it was announced that, that he, I literally got tears in my ass. Uh, I love Bill Withers, and I've loved him since I was 13 years old, when that first song, song came out, and, and ever since then. Uh, and, yeah, it's a, it's a real loss. It's a real loss.
0: Okay, and moving on, Carl, what is it that they said before they uh, put the videotape in someone in Videodrome?
2: Um, I don't remember the line, actually. I've got something I'd
0: like to play for you.
2: Oh, I got, okay. All right.
1: Steve's Video Store Swing Of the Week
2: Ah, the swig is back Long live the swig Let's hear our Let's hear the little voices in the background go Yay Thank you, Steve um, well, I was sort of not exactly expecting this, but thought maybe it might happen um unfortunately, I don't have it particularly in front of me, but what I can tell you is there is this one nice little swing that I happened across this week uh but, you know we're we're all hunkered in, and many of us have uh had to leave work and and have been furloughed and there was this one gentleman in uh, in Michigan who was furloughed from his job, you know, and cleaning out his desk. And uh, they were cleaning out his area, and they found 70 cheese wheels in his desk door. You know those little mini Babiel cheese wheels? You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah.
0: Okay, the mini ones. I was thinking...
2: I was like, he didn't go to full Carl. No, no, he didn't go to full Carl. He went to mini Carl.
0: Yeah.
2: But, you know, 70 of those still is a hell of a lot of cheese.
0: Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's
2: dope. That's, that's you know, if each one of those is one ounce. That's 70 ounces of cheese. And a shitload of wrappers, man. Oh. Uh, I'd rather have a pound and without rapping, but that's me. Um, but, yeah, just, uh, you know, uh, I found that amusing. And a man, it <laughs> certainly should be related to me. You know, I mean, come on. How many times have I gone off on cheese on this program? How much I, I love <laughs> cheese. Everyone knows I love cheese.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> no. So there, this is for you. Worker in Michigan that had 70 mini cheese cheese wheels in his desk. This, this one's for you. you got the swing of the week
1: Steve's videos oh. Sha.
0: God, I love so that things up well, let's getting to the speed the spiel the selling point with the prostitution part of the show which we're all so proud of tell us what's up tomorrow night, Carl
2: okay, well, tomorrow night uh will be the second uh, uh show that we will have with uh um, author and uh, film critic Noel Vera uh, and, and uh, Noel being from the Philippines we are going to uh, do a second show specifically on Pinoy or Filipino Core. and that's going to be tomorrow here on this station instead of DLN So, okay. so we'll and work in right
0: the people who just listen to this station go to do the homework before tomorrow night's show
2: just go to uh, Deviant Legion on Facebook, and the show's all already up there. And just click on it and listen to it. And there okay. you go.
0: And sometime this week, I don't know when, me and Miss Love are gonna be doing the second episode of Sci-Fi Theater with Forbidden Planet. And on Saturday, we'll be doing a dual show. Not two shows, but a dual show.
2: Okay, I got, the, uh, I got my fencing e-pay up. What? I got my fencing e-pay up. You said it was a dual, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, bad joke.
0: This is Nicholas Rogue and Donald Clabbell's classic performance with Tony Strauss from Wings Chop, and Carl will be there. So join us as we talk, good. clap, talk about this mm-hmm. psychedel, psychedelic classic. How you saying?
2: Mm-hmm. Psychedelic, uh, yes. Uh, it's always good to. to, to... Get together with uh with uh Tony because uh he's a lot of fun. We've done a couple of uh of uh, commentaries together. He's he's a blast. And
0: we haven't decided which way we're gonna flow next week, but we're gonna be doing an Easter movie.
2: So maybe maybe we should like come up with three and have people vote on it. What do you think? Yeah, but first
0: we have to make sure we can get access to the three.
2: I, I'll tell you what. I'll 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 look on my end and see see what we got. Okay. 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 Cool.
0: And thank you again to Vlad, Stephanie, Corita, and, and, and Drac. Yep. For being on the show tonight, and thank you for being on as usual, Carl.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Stephen. Always. Not a problem.
0: And to quote Looney Tunes, that's all, folks. Good night.
2: Good night, everyone.